Hello everyone, I'm Rome Katie and welcome to a new era of the House of Ballers brand weekly shorts. This will be a shorter version of the usual podcast that you would hear that, that will come out each week, giving you my thoughts on the week in sports. I've, I've recently gotten some new followers on the Instagram pages, so welcome to the family if you are one of those. And if you're listening to this and you have not followed the Instagram pages, there is a podcast page and my personal page. The podcast page is just like the name of the podcast, H-O-U-Z-Z-O-F-B-A. L-L-E-R-Z-Z, House of Ballers. And for my personal page, it's at RomeJacob1 with a C. So if you want to learn about the guy behind the mic, I would definitely recommend you follow that account. But anyways, enough of the intro. Let's just get right into what's on tap for this week. So we'll start things off with the MLB lockout and my thoughts on that situation. Then we'll dive into some NFL news about a specific Cowboys wide receiver who could be on his way out of Jerry's world soon. Plus, we'll look at some former NFC East offensive rivals and see where they could be heading. And then we'll go to the NBA to look at the MVP award race and the state of the league right now. Then we'll look at the we'll look at some NHL action for the first time on this podcast and predict some big final regular season games in college basketball before tournament season rolls around. Then, as we always like to do on this pod, our baller of the week will be crowned this week. So without further ado, let's just get right into it. Okay, so here's my thing on the lockout, right? The MLB lockout. All it is at this point is a tug of war that both sides aren't going to win. There are the owners on one side and the players on the other. The owners don't care about the product on the field. They don't care about the players. They don't care about the employees who work in the concession stands and team shops. As long as whatever they invest in brings in money, that's all they care about at the end of the day. It's really shady, but it's also understandable in a way because in business, you have to invest in something that's worthwhile. And if it is, you can get enough money out of it to to sustain yourself. But then again, they have billions of dollars anyway, so they already have everything they need. The players, on the other hand, don't have everything they need and therefore want leverage in things like lessening the blow of service time manipulation, which is a whole other story for another day, a new draft format with the draft lottery like the NBA, expanded postseason, raising minimum minimum salaries, and salary arbitration. In simpler terms, owners want money and the players want a better looking game which is more competitive and it helps out the next generation of players to come after them. With this tug of war, however, both sides are running the risk of canceling more than just the first two series of the season, which fell out when Manfred had that whole press conference or whatever. My opinion is that there will be no season because of the little progress that has been made over these last few months. It's almost like how a loading bar is stuck at about a sixth of the way through, and it's and it has been moving for like an hour, a half an hour. Now, could we see a big burst in that loading bar and both sides get a deal done quicker than expected? Or will we see a long, gradual increase in the loading bar and both sides won't come to a deal for a while? We'll have to see what happens in the near future. That's enough of my MLB lockout rant. Let's move on to the NFL gridiron, which is near the end of its 2021-22 league year and is in the combine stage of the offseason. In terms of players on the move, we do have some news on that. We'll begin things with Amari Cooper, who is not a free agent, but will likely be released or traded this offseason by the Dallas Cowboys. Some places I see him going to are the Bears, Ravens, Colts, and Eagles. But the one place that best fits Amari, in my opinion, is the Arizona Cardinals. Now, if you know me at all, you know I'm a hardcore Cardinals fan, and will be, and will probably and, and you'll probably think I'm super biased when I say this, but hear me out. Free agent Christian Kirk, former Cardinals wide receiver will most likely be on his way out, so your current wide receiver too is gone right there. So who who better to fill his place than Amari Cooper? He he, he didn't get a say in, get, in getting more catches and targets in the Cowboy offense last season, and look where that led them. So he'll definitely get more touches in the Cardinals uniform. Plus the one-two punch of DeAndre Hopkins and Amari Cooper is unbelievable. If both are healthy and playing at their highest level, I think you could put them in the conversation of best wideout duo in the entire league. 
And in the event of D-Hop getting injured like he did last year, Cooper can fit that wide receiver one role like a glove. I mean, he checks all the boxes, but let me know where you think Amari Cooper is headed next season. Now, two other offensive stars that, that have been in trade talks and rumors so far this offseason, Carson Wentz and Saquon Barkley. First, let's talk about Wentz's situation. Colts GM Chris Ballard is not giving a straight answer about Wentz's future with the same team who traded him just a year earlier. That automatically comes up, uh, opens up the floodgates for questioning, and if there's something more to this that we don't know about. To me, if anything, I think he'll stay in Indy. I think that season-ending loss to the Jaguars will only fire this team up to absolutely go crazy next year. The Colts had a top-10 defense in 2021, according to ProFootballReference.com, and they even led the league in Pro Bowl selections as well. So don't blow it up just because of some bad loss to the Jaguars. Go try it again next year and possibly play better then. Now for Barkley, new Giants GM Joe Shane said that Barkley is not untouchable and will at least entertain offers, according to reports. To me, this is easy. I think he's staying with the New York Giants. As of right now, I don't see him going anywhere else, but next season's performance with the team and Barkley's performance could change that notion. And speaking of team performances, let's look at the standings at the time I'm recording this podcast. So in the Eastern Conference, we have the Miami Heat in first place with a 42-22 and record. In second place, we have the Philadelphia 76ers at 39-23. and at three and four, we have the Bucks and the Bulls both tied at 39 and 25. They're two really good teams to watch out for in these playoffs. Now, at number five, we have the Boston Celtics at 38 and 27. And at the 60, we have the Cleveland Cavaliers at 36 and 27. Now, let me just talk about the Cavaliers real quick because I did not think for any stretch of the imagination that the Cavaliers would be this good this year. I did not think that Darius Garland would pop off the way he has been. I mean, Evan Mobley's a good center, but I don't think he would go crazy in one year. I didn't think Jared Allen would be producing the way he's been producing. I mean, this Cleveland Cavaliers team is just so well-rounded and just such a young, fiery team who just gets after it. It's 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 crazy because I think that Colin Sexton injury at the start of the year might have been the best thing that's happened to this this Cleveland Cavaliers team, and I don't want to like make fun of Sexton for getting injured and blah 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 all that, but I really do feel like that was probably the best thing for the Cavaliers is because Garland could open up the floor and just give it to his big guys Mobley and Allen and guys on the wings like Levert. At seven, we have the Toronto Raptors at thirty four and twenty nine. At eight, the Brooklyn Nets at thirty two and thirty two, so they're basically playing five hundred basketball. At nine seed, we have the Atlanta Hawks at thirty one and thirty two. And at 10, we have the Charlotte Hornets at 31 and 33. So that's 7 to 10 spot right there is basically all the play-in tournament spots that are likely to be clinched before the playoffs. And so I think it will go like 7, 8, 9, and 10. So 7 versus 8, 9 versus 10. And then the winner the winner of the 7, 8 moves, moves on to become the 7th seed in the playoffs to face the 2 seed, which will probably be the 76ers unless something changes. And then the loser of this game will face the winner of the 9-10 game, and the winner and the and and the, and the winner of that game will become the eight seed. So that's basically how the play-in tournament works in a nutshell. So these are the four teams as of right now. If the season ends ended today, that could be contending for the East seven and eight seeds. Now for the last five spots is the Wizards, the Knicks, the Pacers, the Pistons, and the Magic. They're they're all really not going anywhere. There's not a lot to talk about for them. I mean, they're fine. It's just they, they probably need to start rebuilding and need to figure things out in the future. Now over to the Western Conference. You got Phoenix Suns, which makes me so happy because I'm a Phoenix Suns fan, if you know me at all. 51-12, and 12, which is a crazy record. I didn't, we would usually be the, – the Suns would usually be on the opposite side, like 12-51 and 51 or something crazy like that. 
but they're on the opposite side now, which is insane. And number two, you have the Golden State Warriors, which haven't been playing well without Draymond Green, so look look for that to be an issue come playoff time. At the third seed, you have the Grizzlies at 43 and 21. At the fourth seed, you have the Utah Jazz at 39 and 23. At the fifth seed, you have the Dallas Mavericks at 38 and 25. And at sixth seed, you have the Denver Nuggets at 37 and 26. So all of these six teams of the season ended today. They would clinch a surefire playoff spot and would not have to be in the playing tournament. But as we get into the playing tournament spots, you have the Timberwolves at the seventh seed, 35-29. You have the Clippers, 34 and 31 at the eighth seed. You have the ninth seed, LA Lakers, which we didn't think would be a possibility at the beginning of the year, 27 and 35. And at number 10, the New Orleans Pelicans at 27 and 36. So 7 through 10 is where the plan is at. And these four teams will be contending for the seventh and eighth seeds in the West. Now for the last five. We have the Blazers, the Spurs, the Kings, the Thunder, and the Rockets. The Thunder and the Rockets are just in a rebuilding stage. We don't need to worry about that. But the Blazers, Spurs, and Kings, they're all basically contending for that for those last two spots. Because if you look at it here, the separation between 9 and 13 is basically only like four and a half games ahead. So this 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 uh, these 9 through 10 spots are going to be really tightly contested within these next like few months or so so or a couple months or so so it's gonna be very interesting to see how, how all of that plays out now let's get into the state of the mvp race according to nba.com so we're gonna go 10 through 6 and then 5 4 3 2 1 so the 10 through 6 order goes like this donovan mitchell at 10 chris paul at 9 steph curry at 8 which he was at like number one at the beginning of the year which is crazy how he's just dropped off devin booker at 7 and luka Doncic at 6 Number five, for the first time since November, John Moran of the Memphis Grizzlies has entered the MVP conversation. So far this season, he's averaged about 28 points per game, six rebounds per game, and six, six, per, six, six assists per game. Sounds like a tongue twister. On 58% true shooting, almost like OPS in baseball where it combines a three-point field goal percentage, two-point field goal percentage, and free throw percentage. So that's what that stat is in a nutshell. In terms of this Grizzlies team, like I said in the standings, they're third in the West behind Phoenix and Golden State. So they're overachieving everyone's expectations coming into this year. And so look for Ja to make some noise and possibly get into the top three conversation, I think, because that's how well he's playing. But there's one guy that could get there before Ja does, and that's the number four player in this race, DeMar DeRozan of the Chicago Bulls. He's played some of the best basketball he's ever played in his life and is debunking the, debunking the haters for not being the right fit for this Bulls team. This year, he's averaged about 28 points per game, five rebounds per game, and five assists per game with really with a really efficient 59% true shooting. Even though they lost a tough game against the Bucks last night, 118-112, he has this team looking, looking pretty for the majority of the year. They're in the thick of it in the top six in the East, and that's without guys like Lonzo Ball and Alex Crusoe being out for so long. Once you get these guys back, I've been saying since they signed these guys, watch out for the Bull, for this Bulls team because they are coming for everyone to get that Larry O'Brien trophy. And number three, it's Giannis Antetokounmpo of the Milwaukee Bucks. He's averaging 29 points, 11 rebounds, and 6 assists on 63% true shooting, which is exceptional. The six-time All-Star is looking for his third MVP, and he's only 27 years old. Just crazy to see what he's been able to accomplish in such a short period of time. And as for the team, they're also right in the thick of a crowded Eastern Conference as well, and they were defending champions. So that, that automatically puts some uh, leverage in there as well. At number two, it's Joel Embiid of the Philadelphia 76ers. He's averaging about 29, 11, and 4 on about 61% true shooting. 
But the addition of James Harden could make Embiid play better, to be honest. Because if you look at how Harden's been playing in Philly and compared to Brooklyn based off of the eye test, he just plays way more freely and is getting back to the triple-double version of Harden that we saw in, earlier, in the early prime years of Houston. I think Embiid has a really big, a really big part in that. And that free play is contagious and is spreading to the rest of the team as well. In particular, guys like Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris, Matisse Thybul, etc. Look out for the Sixers team to go, to go crazy come playoff time. Bat number one, it's Nikola Jokic of the, of, of the Denver Nuggets, your reigning MVP. He's averaging 25-14-8 on 65% true shooting, just crazy good numbers. However, he's in a slightly worse situation as it is with the team he's on. Like I said in the standings portion, the Nuggets are the sixth seed and two and a half games ahead of the seventh seed Timberwolves. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a small margin before they get into the play-in. They have Jamal Murray out for the foreseeable future because of his ACL injury, but Michael Porter Jr. could be back this month, according to Adrian Wojnarowski. So that could help ease the crazy load Jokic has right now and lead this Nuggets team back to a surefire playoff spot. Now for my MVP prediction, based off of this race, I think any one of these top five can get the MVP. They're all neck and neck right now. I think the separator will come when one of these five have an outstanding last-minute push and the other four take a step back. But hot take alert. This could be the tightest MVP race we've seen in recent memory. I don't know if there's any five collection of guys that all have an equal chance of getting to that MVP trophy. It's going to be a wild finish in that award race. And now, for the first time in this podcast history, let's look to the state of NHL hockey. You might be saying, Rome, how in the world do you know hockey and you haven't put it on this pod? Well, I just haven't gotten into it like this before, and I'm glad I did because hockey is so much fun to watch that people give it credit for. But anyway, let's get into these standings. So we have here the Metropolitan Division. You got Carolina's 38-12-5 with 81 points. Pittsburgh is 34-14-9 with 77 points, and the Rangers are 35-15-5 with 75 points. In the Atlantic Division, you have the Lightning the Florida Panthers, and the Toronto Maple Leafs. So the Tampa Bay Lightning are 36-12-6 with 78 points. The Florida Panthers are 36-13-5 with 77 points. So that's a tight race. And Toronto has 35-15-4 with 74 points. And in the wild card discussion, the top two teams in there are the Boston Bruins and the Washington Capitals. For the Bruins, it's 33-18-4 on 70 points. And for the Capitals, 29-18-9 on 67 points. Now for the Western Conference. You have, in the Central Division, you have the Colorado Avalanche, St. Louis Blues, and Minnesota Wild. These three, these three will be making the playoffs of the season ended today. And the, the Colorado Avalanche are 40-11-4 with 84 points. St. Louis Blues, 32-15-6 with 70 points. The Minnesota Wild, 32-18-3 with 67 points. In the Pacific Division. Calgary, the Calgary Flames, 32, 14, 7, and 71. The Los Angeles Kings, 30, 19, and 7 at 67. And the Vegas Golden Knights are 31, 21, and 4 with 66 points. The Dallas Stars and the Nashville Predators are the top two wildcard teams in the Western Conference. So if you look at, if you just look at from a macro scape, uh, macro scape or, or macro vision, or whatever you call it. I can't even say the word right. So you have the Avalanche, Blues, Minnesota, Flames, Kings, Golden Knights, Stars, and Nashville Predators would be in the playoffs of the Western Conference if the season would end today. And for the Eastern Conference, you have the Hurricanes, Penguins, Rangers, Lightning, Panthers, 
Maple Leafs, Bruins, and Capitals would be the eight representing the Eastern Conference. And the trade deadline is just a few weeks away, March 21st to be exact. So I'll try and break down each trade as much as possible with my casual fan knowledge. So our penultimate segment for today is predicting some big college basketball finale games before the conference tournaments. First up, it's a top 15 matchup, 14 Arkansas Razorbacks versus the 13 Tennessee Volunteers. And, oh wait, they're actually playing right now. Never mind, they're actually playing right now as we speak. So the Volunteers currently have a 2-1 to lead over the Razorbacks. I think as they're playing, we could still try and predict the winner. I feel like the uh, the... I feel like the Volunteers are doing really well right now. I think Kennedy Chandler is doing some great stuff for them this year, the freshman out of Sunrise Christian High School. And for the Arkansas Razorbacks, they have some like decent five-star guys coming into their program, Jordan Walsh and Nick Smith, I think I think are the two that are going to be committed there. So Arkansas is really building up for a big, big resurgence in their program. But I think I think – I think the Tennessee Volunteers will take it just because, I guess, <laughs> sure, I guess we'll go with them. But I think it's going to be a fun game to watch, top, like I said, top 15. And then we are headed to the Big East for the C- Seton Hall Pirates against the Creighton Blue Jays. So here we go. Let's see if this one's actually playing. Nope, it's on a 2.30 day on Fox. And the, and the ESPN Basketball Power Index indicator shows, uh, the matchup predictor shows that the Creighton Blue Jays are 51.1% likely to win while Seton Hall is 48.9. So it's pretty, it's pretty tightly contested. And in terms of points, I think you have like a bunch of different guys doing well on both sides. The Seton Hall Pirates are 19 and 9, 10 and 8 in conference play for Creighton, 20 and 9, 12 and 6 in conference play. And if you look at Seton Hall's last five games, they've won four of their last five against good teams. They've beat the Paul Butler, Xavier, and Georgetown. George, Georgetown's kind of an easy win, even though they lost, uh, even though they won by five. Georgetown's like winless now. They used to be really good at some point. For, for whatever reason, they just fell off dramatically, and that's sad because they were once a really good basketball school, especially in the 80s too with Patrick Ewing and John Thompson and all those guys back in the day. Now, if you look at Creighton, they, they've also won four of their last five. They've beaten DePaul, Marquette, St. John's, and uh, UConn. They did lose to Providence 72-51, to which is a big loss for them. So I think that's something to look at here. Both teams are pretty evenly matched. But I think I think you could give it to the Creighton Blue Jays. I think they, I, I think they just look better right now, even though their best point guard, Ryan Nemhart, I think will be out for the year. So that'll, that'll be a key factor in this game. But I think the Creighton Blue Jays will still pull it out. Then we are headed to the Mountain West, where the Colorado State Rams, which is my mom's alma mater, are going up against the Boise State Broncos. So if you look here, Boise State's last five, they won all five of their games against Air Force, Utah State, San Diego State, UNLV, and Nevada. And for Colorado State, they won four of their last five, including one overtime game against Boise State on February 13th, which is a 77-74 to 74 win. They beat uh, University of New Mexico, I think that is, New Mexico. They did lose to UNLV, but they did win against Wyoming and Utah State. So something to look at here, 830 Eastern on CBS Sports Network. So if you want to catch a little bit of Mountain West action, I'd recommend you doing that. But for me, I mean, I'm kind of just going to be biased because it's it's familial. I got to give it to Colorado State to my mom's alma mater. I I, I, I just have to do it. It's within the family. I mean, you you could talk as much trash to me all you want want about this game, but it's just just too easy for me. I don't really know a lot about these teams, to be completely honest with you. But I I think this will be a fun game to watch if you're looking for some other fun games to watch in the coming hours. But last but not least, 
the one that every sports fan is going to look to for this game, not just because it's Duke versus North Carolina, but because it's Coach K's last home game at Cameron Indoor Stadium. What a storied coaching career, probably one of the best coaches of all time or basketball coaches of all time, probably like easily one of the best coaches of all time, I think if, if you could put him in that conversation. I mean, for Duke this year, they've been playing really well. They got Paulo Bencaro, who's probably going to be a top three pick in the draft this year. North Carolina is not too bad either at 22-8, and eight, so look for them to do something so far. So for the Tar Heels, their, five, their last five games, they've won four of their last five. They beat Syracuse in overtime. They beat North Carolina State, they beat Louisville, they beat Virginia Tech, and they did lose to Pitt, so that's something to look at there. But for Duke, they've won all five of their last games. They beat um, excuse me, they beat Pitt, they beat Syracuse, they beat University of Virginia, they beat Florida State, and they beat Wake Forest. So I think I think it's easy for me. I think the Duke Blue Devils are gonna take this home. I mean, it's it's Coach K. I mean, you gotta you you gotta do something to get a win. Because it just it just, it just wouldn't look right if you didn't get the win. So for me, I think it's easy. I think I think Duke's gonna take this one home. So last sub, last segment is the baller of the week. And if you're new here, the baller of the week is someone who had a great week, whether it be related to sports or outside of it. You'll be up for baller of the week anyway, possible. And this week, I have two ballers of the week: Tyquan Thornton and Cam Johnson. So Baylor wide receiver Tyquan Thornton. Ran a 4.21 unofficial 40-yard dash time in the NFL Combine like a couple days ago, which almost broke the record for record for fastest man in the Combine. But the official time came out and it was 4.28, which was short of breaking John Ross's record of 4.22. His 4.8 total ties him with the likes of Hall of Famer cornerback Champ Bailey and some guys who were only leaked for like three years. So hopefully Thornton doesn't fall into that later latter category. Phoenix Suns. Forward Cam Johnson went off last night against the New York Knicks in the 115-114 win at home. He dropped 38 points, which is which is his career high by a mile, all while hitting nine threes, nine three-pointers, which ties the franchise record. And six of those threes came in the fourth quarter, where the Suns were down 12 to start. They came back and were down two with about seven seconds left. Alec Burke misses the free throw. They go up the court with seven seconds left. Campaign drops it off to Cam Johnson at the top of the key, moving three. Bank shot, good. Footprint centers going crazy. Suns win 115-114. And they send the Suns faithful home happy. So those are your bar of the week this week. And that is your episode, ladies and gentlemen. Rate, review, subscribe. Please do all of that. And just to reiterate, my Instagrams are House of Ballers, H-O-U-Z-Z-O-F-B-A-L-L-E-R-Z-Z. I know it's a lot to spell, but I think I could give it to you there. And at RomeJacob1 on my personal page. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a great weekend. Hope you have a great rest of your week. We'll see you next week, guys. Peace!